You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. I want to jump in this morning and uh, invite you to join me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A familiar passage of scripture uh, beginning in verse 14, and I want us to read down through uh, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 21. So if you have a copy of God's Word or if you're on a device, you can certainly uh, uh, pull up a Bible app or that kind of thing. The verses will be on our screen as well, so follow along with us. Uh, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big soft drink drinker. I love convenience stores because often the convenience stores have these big gulp drinks. And I've been addicted to these drinks for many years. And, uh, but, I, but I'm getting better. I've weaned myself off of sugar drinks. And now I drink diet drinks. And so I'll go to the, the convenience store. I'll get my big gulp drink. It's a diet drink. I remember uh, a few years back, though, I was going to the convenience store to get my big gulp drink. And as I was walking towards the front door of this convenience store, I noticed kind of to my right, there was a man who was parked kind of away at the end of the, the parking lot, not right in front of the door, but down a ways. And his hood on his car was lifted up. And I kind of thought maybe his cars broke down and maybe I should help him. And so I walked in, I got my drink, I came back out and I proceeded to go to where he was. He was standing there kind of looking in uh, his engine and, and as if, you know, he was trying to fix it. And, uh, and so I walk over and say, I, I say, hey, I see that your, your car is broke down. He says, yeah, I don't know what's going on and I really need to run an errand and I need to get back home. And I said, well, is there any way I can help you? He said, would you mind, run, I got to go pay a bill. And, and, and it's just 10 minutes down the street. And uh, would you mind uh, giving me a, a ride there? And then would you mind giving me a ride home? And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And uh, what about your car, though? And he said, well, I'll just come back and get it and have it towed later. 
I said, well, sure. And we hopped in my car and we, we drive and we, we, he, he paid a bill. He got back in the car and I said, well, where do you live? And he said, well, I live 45 minutes away on the other side of Zebulun. But I'd already committed to taking him, taking him home. And so we, we drove the 45 minutes or so on the other side of Zebulun and uh, we began to just strike up a conversation. I discovered he was a Christian and we just rejoiced that both of us were brothers in Christ. And I, be, I but, but I asked him to tell, tell me your story, tell me about your family, you know, that kind of thing. And he began to tell me about his family. He told me he, he was married and he said when he got married, uh, he said he and his wife had problems and, and uh, they divorced. They divorced. And he said most of the problems that had occurred in their marriage was a result of him and some of the things that he was doing. And, and uh, he, he took responsibility and fault for uh, the problems that were in his marriage and for the divorce. And then he said he was divorced for uh, several years and then he got remarried to his wife. And I said, well, uh, wait a minute, say it again. He said, yes, I, I was married because of my own foolishness. I ended up divorcing, and then now many, many years later, I have remarried my wife. And I said, man, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. That is incredible. And I rejoiced, and we worshiped and praised God, and, and I just thought it was the most incredible thing uh, um, um, that I'd ever heard. And then he told me this. He said, God had restored them, and he said um, he and his wife were serving in music ministry together. They were both gifted musicians, and they could sing, and so they led praise and worship. And then they also, and this is what he was really excited about, they also worked with couples who were having problems in their relationship. And here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make sure uh, that, that they could maybe help them reconcile. I said, man, that is incredible. And I tell you that because I think in so many ways, that is really what Paul is getting at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. This is a passage about reconciliation. This is a passage about uh, uh, Paul's doctrine on reconciliation and restoration, not to a marriage per se, but a relationship that's just incredibly more important than a marriage is our relationship with Christ. And reconciliation really does imply really three things in my mind. First of all, it implies a relationship and a relationship that is whole and healthy and strong. But then that word also implies that the relationship has been broken. It's been marred. It's been, it's, it's, it's been estranged. But then that word reconciliation also implies that it's been restored. And the greatest relationship that, that we have is our relationship with God. And because of Genesis chapter 3, that relationship which was once whole, which was once healthy, which was once perfect because of sin has been broken, has been estranged. But the good news of the gospel is through Christ, that relationship has been and can be made whole again. And here's the good news. When you and I are reconciled to God, the most, most important relationship, you and I, like this couple who now go and help other couples reconcile to one another, uh, uh, in that way, we are called by God to go help people 
reconcile to God. That's what Paul is getting at in this passage of Scripture. Now, I love this. Paul starts this thing off. In, in, in verses 14 through 17, uh, Paul is, 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 is heavily Christocentric. And what that means is, in verses 14 through 17, Christ is all up in these verses and he is at work. And it's centered on Christ and the work that Christ has done. And then in verses 18 through 21, it's theocentric. That just means God is all up in the verses and God is at, on center stage and God is at work. And this is what I believe Paul is saying in a nutshell. That God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And that's good news. And if we're reconciled to God, he is sending us to help other people who are not reconciled to God to be reconciled to God. Now, here's three things that we're going to see this morning. Here's our first. You already see it on the screen. First of all, notice the miracle of reconciliation. Notice the miracle of reconciliation. The key verse here is verse 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Becoming reconciled and becoming a new creation, here, here's what we shouldn't miss. It really is supernatural. Becoming reconciled to God and becoming a new creation in Christ, it's, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It is a miracle. When you and I become reconciled to God and made new in Christ, uh, notice that there, there, are, there are a few things Paul will mention here uh, uh, where, where this miracle uh, 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 is a reality in our life. Here's the first thing. Becoming reconciled gives us new passion. Go back to verse 14. Verse 17 lays the found, foundation, but then if you want to see how this miracle actually looks in your life, go back to verse 14. We have new passion. Notice what Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Highlight that verse. Because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Paul says it's the love of Christ that controls us. Some translations may say right here, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Or it's the love of Christ that, that motivates us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us or guides us or set the parameters around our life. And God demonstrated this great love for us in Christ. And Paul concludes here that it's, it's through his death on the cross. Again, verse 14 says that one died for all. God demonstrates his great love for us in Christ in the fact that Christ died. And notice this. He died for all. He died for all. And I love this about God. I love uh, uh, the great love that God has for all of humanity that he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ dies for all. We're going to get to this in a minute, but that's a message we ought to be telling people. That's a message we ought to tell people that don't know Christ, who have never trusted him, who have never repented of their sins, who have never, ever been reconciled to God. That Christ died for you. He died for all. And I love this about, about, about our Savior. 
And particularly in a culture and in a world where we're talking about reconciliation and racial reconciliation and all these types of reconciliation. Here's the good news of the gospel. Christ died for all. Is that not good news? He died for all. And Paul says, God, God is demonstrating his love in the fact that Christ died. And it's, and it's this very love of God that, that compels us, that motivates us, that has now become the passion of our life. And even when we go and share the gospel with someone, it's because of this love of Christ, this passion that, that he loved us and that he not only loves us, he loves all and has died for all. This motivates us. Let me ask you a question. Is this your passion as you see to share the good news of the gospel with others. When you share the good news of the gospel with others, is it because uh, you realize that, that Christ loved us and demonstrated his love for us in his death and, and you have this passion in your heart uh, to share it with others? Paul says, this miracle of reconciliation, there, he gives us new passion. But notice, secondly, he gives us new priorities. Look at what he says in verse 15. Paul says, and he died for all that those who might, uh, that, that, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. It's interesting. He died for all in verse 14 and verse 15, and he died for all again. You think? You think Paul wants us to understand that Jesus died for all? And then he says at the end of this verse, for their sake, he died and was raised. And when you think about the fact that Christ died for us, and, and, and it's a demonstration of his great love, and it gives us new passions, now that very same cross of Christ gives us new priorities. And here's the priority, that we are no longer living for ourselves but for him who died for us. Is that the case for you and me? That we're now living for, now that we have experienced this miracle called reconciliation, we are now living for him. I got a friend who's joining our church named Adi McNair. Adi is a prisoner in the largest prison in North Carolina. Adi, I began mentoring him and four other inmates this past year. And, uh, and as I first met Adi and these four others, I'm just kind of getting to know them. They're kind of getting to know, know me. I said, hey, tell me your stories. I love to hear your stories. And Adi starts off and, and Adi says, you know, I, uh, when I was 18, you couldn't tell me anything. I wouldn't listen to anybody. I would do what I wanted to do. I, I, and I was out there doing everything, all the wrong things. He got married when he was like 18. His wife became a believer. And uh, she tried to share the gospel with him. Um, and he wouldn't listen. He said, I would have nothing to do with it, Pastor Pete. His mother was a believer. She would share the gospel with him. He said, I would have nothing to do with it. Adi ended up killing someone and was convicted of first-degree murder. And he was sentenced to life. He's telling me this, you all. And he said, Pastor Pete, I can honestly say to you, being convicted of murder and sentenced to life without parole is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I said, time out. Hold up. Wait a minute. Stick it in reverse. 
I said, what? Explain that to me. I would think most people who, who are in prison and sentenced to life in prison without parole for killing somebody would not say that's the best thing that's ever happened to them. And he went on to tell me that when he got to prison, there was this guy that kept staring at him. He said, Pastor Pete, when God stare at you in prison, it's usually a bad sign. And so I was ready to defend myself. He said, every time I saw this guy, he was just staring at me, just staring at me. And then he said, it, this went on for months. And finally, he got to a, a situation where the guy was right in front of him. He couldn't avoid him anymore because if he would see him coming, he would go the other way. But he couldn't in this case. And the guy was just looking straight at him. And he said, the guy said, God wants me to tell you something. And the guy proceeded to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Adi said he cursed him out. He threatened him. He just told him to get out of his face. He told him he didn't want to hear. The guy kept sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with Adi. Adi went back to his cell. He broke down, began to weep profusely, and, 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 and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ in his cell. And then he told me this. He said, I can honestly say that it took me getting convicted, sentenced to life without parole for me to come to Jesus Christ. And now he says, I can honestly tell you this, there is no area in my life that's not under the lordship of Christ. And he said, now I'm a new, my passions are new, my priorities are new. I'm not living for that stuff I used to live for. I'm not doing that stuff I used to do. I'm not living my life the way old Adi used to live his life. Now I got, I got new priorities. I'm living fully, wholly, faithfully, 100% for the one who died for me. This miracle of reconciliation gives us new passion. It gives us new priorities. Let me ask you and me the question, since you've, you've, you've experienced this miracle of reconciliation, are you now living for the one who died for you? Oh, I hope you and I are, and I hope you and I will by his grace. Third, there's a new perspective. Notice what he says in verse 16. Let's move pretty quickly here. From now on, Paul says, or we could say it like this, since becoming reconciled and a new creation. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. One of the things I think were, was problematic at Corinth, they regarded people according to the flesh. Paul addresses this throughout 2 Corinthians and really 1 Corinthians. He deals with their carnal evaluation of people. In fact, they did Paul this way. He said, he ain't that impressive. He writes big, long, lengthy letters, but, but in person, he's not very impressive at all. They're, they're better speakers. Um, there's nothing really, they, they, they evaluated Paul from a fleshly, worldly, carnal perspective. And Paul's like, when it comes to people whom Jesus died for, we don't regard them according to the flesh. But we regard them as, as people whom Jesus died for. I wonder, do you and I have that perspective? When we see people in our communities and in our places of employment, in our schools where we do recreation, whether it's the YMCA or Planet Fitness, do we view people as people for whom Jesus died? 
Paul says we don't regard people according to the flesh. Let me ask you a question. When someone pulls out in front of you on the belt line or on 540, do, do you view them? And y'all, I'm the worst. Sometimes I'm like, that jerk, I was about to call him. Yeah, he's someone that Jesus died for though, right? And we don't regard people according to the flesh. And then Paul says, we used to regard Christ this way. And you know what? A lot of people are, are this way. When it comes to Christ, uh, they, they, they regard him according to the flesh. In other words, they don't really believe that Jesus is who he, he said he was. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's the anointed one, that he's the son of God, that he is the king, that he is the Lord. They just believe maybe at best that he's a good person. He was a moral person. He was a moral leader. He was a moral teacher. And so many people that you and I will encounter this week, if we have a chance to share the gospel with them, view Christ from a worldly, fleshly standpoint. And Paul says, we don't even view Christ according to the flesh. He is indeed the Son of God. And if you're here, maybe you're here this morning, and you, and you go, man, I, I've heard about this Jesus. I, you know, um, I know you talk about him a lot here at South Bridge, but I've always kind of thought that he was just a moral leader or a moral teacher or maybe a prophet. I, 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 I never considered him to be who he said he was, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, the one who will come back one day that we will, we, we will, we will stand and give an account to. Maybe your perspective of Jesus has been in some ways worldly or fleshly. I pray by God's grace you will see that he is the one who died for you and can reconcile you to God. We have new perspective. But notice we have, we become a new person. Notice what he says in verse 16. Notice what he says here. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. To be saved means to be changed. To be saved is to become a new person. Uh, there, it's interesting. In the original language here, you all, in the Greek, verse 17, literally, there is no verb in the first part of verse 17 in the Greek language. Paul seems to be so excited as he pins this, he, he runs right past it. He doesn't even put a verb in here in the first part of this verse. And so this verse could literally read like this. In Christ, a new creation, all things have passed away. In Christ, a new creation, all things have passed away. This is the miracle of reconciliation. It's a miracle. And we, be, we, we get new passion. We, we, we get new priorities. We get new perspective. We become a new person. Now, notice the means of reconciliation real quickly. In other words, verses 18 and 19 and verse 21 answer the question, how does this new creation come about? Who is responsible for it? Well, Paul lets us know that the source of reconciliation is not us. It's not us. It's God. I used to give myself too much credit for my salvation. I used to give myself too much credit for, for the reconciliation with God that I enjoy. Early on in my Christian walk, I would say things like this, and this is not, this is not heretical or wrong if you use language like this, but I, I used to say things like, I accepted Christ. You know what, does Christ really need acceptance from me, if you think about that? 
In fact, he has accepted me in the beloved. And just even that language, I, I accepted Christ, it, it implies that it gives me too much credit. No, he accepted me. While I was yet a sinner, it's then that Jesus died for me. And sometimes we, 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 we miss the fact that reconciliation is a miracle. And Paul says, it's not us, it's God. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says that God is the author of reconciliation. Everything begins with him. God basically came on a rescue and a search mission for us. We didn't go seeking God. God came in Christ looking for you and me. Notice the language here in verse 18. Watch this. Highlight this in your Bibles. All this, highlight that, all this is from God. And all this looks back to everything he said in verses 14 through 17. All this is that new passion. All this is that new priorities. All this is that new perspective. All this is that new person that you and I have become as a result of this miracle called reconciliation. Paul says, get this straight, get this clear. That doesn't come from you. All this comes from God. All of it. All of it comes from God. He is the, the author of our reconciliation. I'm convinced of this, you all. If reconciliation was left up to me and you, it would not, it would not happen. Yeah, reconciliation wouldn't be possible if it was just left up to you and me. God is the author of it. All this is from God. But God is the author of it. But look at secondly, Christ is the agent of it. Notice verse 18 says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Look at verse 19. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world. Christ is the broker of our reconciliation. It's through Christ that, that we are reconciled to God. I don't know if you've ever brokered reconciliation. Sometimes uh, maybe you've been in a situation where two people are, are at war with one another. As a pastor, you, 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 you do this. Um, I know we might have some attorneys, and I see my good friend Chris Dillon here, who's a judge on our North Carolina appellate court. Uh, on, on the court, you're always, I'm sure, uh, Judge uh, Dillon could, be, could explain this better to me, but you're, you're, you're reconciling. You're, you're trying to solve conflict and differences in the, in the legal. We probably got lawyers in here that do this kind of stuff as well, mediation and all that. Have you ever been in a situation where, where, where you were like the mediator? I remember years ago at a camp, there were two kids. I was working at the camp. They were at war with one another. And somehow I had, was called in to try to be an agent of reconciliation. And this person, I listened to this person, and I listened to this one. And then finally I said, this is crazy. We just need to forgive, forgive, and, and just make up, and let's pray and sing kumbaya and hold hands and, you know, just move on. But, but in that sense, this is all I'm trying to say, as I'm being just a little bit silly here, um, that, that, that I, I was sort of the, the one who was trying to broker this, this reconciliation. Well, well, Christ is the one that brokers our reconciliation with God. God is not at fault, by the way. He's perfect. He's holy. 
And if there's a, there's a break in our relationship, it's totally our sin. But Christ steps in the middle on the cross, and it's through the cross, and God pouring out his wrath upon Christ, uh, um, and, and, and that, that Christ brokers or he's our agent of reconciliation. He takes the punishment. He takes the wrath of God upon himself for our sin, and, 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 and he brokers this reconciliation with God. We see the means of it. God is the author. Christ is the agent. Verse 21 is the greatest verse maybe in all of Scripture, one of them. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Christ takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and in the process we're reconciled to God. And look at our final point. Look at the ministry of reconciliation. We see the miracle of it, the means of it. It's all God. It's all Christ. But then the ministry. Once you and I experience the miracle of reconciliation by the means, God and Christ, then we now have a ministry. And the ministry is, again, to tell other people how they can be reconciled to God. Two things here. First of all, We are stewards of this gospel. Notice verse 18 again. It says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us. So again, you've experienced the miracle of reconciliation by the means which is God working through Christ. Now you have a ministry. And now you are stewards of this good gospel. He's given us This ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. He has entrusted us. Again, that's stewardship language. He has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. And a steward in the Bible doesn't own anything. So we don't own this reconciliation. We don't own this good gospel. We've just been entrusted with it. And a steward, according to the Bible, is to be found faithful. And we're to be faithful with this ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted it to you and I. He's given it to you and I that we might share it with others. I love what he says here. Let's read verses 18 uh, and 19 together. Notice what he says in verse 18. All this is from God who through uh, Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Watch this, not counting their trespasses against us and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. That's a lot there. I wish we had time to unpack it, but but listen. He says, part of this message of reconciliation through Christ is that God doesn't count our sins against us. I don't know about y'all. But whenever I come across that verse, when I read this passage of Scripture, that's one of those mm verses. It's like you can read it and just stop right there and think about it and just go, mm. It's like one of those grunting verses. And part of the message and the ministry of reconciliation is just that. That through Christ, God doesn't count our sins against us because of what Christ has done for us. Again, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. God won't count our sins against us. And this is a message that people need to hear. They need to hear this. 
that there's a God who loves them and cares about them, and there's a God who's made it possible for their sins not to be counted against them. I remember when I was a kid, I heard this preacher, and he was a, he was a shouter, he was a sweater, and he was a spitter. So if you sat too close, you might get wet, you know. I remember he painted this picture of judgment. And he said, you know, when we stand before God and ju- in judgment, there's going to be this big long line. And you're going to be waiting your turn in line to stand before the judgment seat of God. He said, there's going to be this big screen behind the throne that expands the entire universe. And this was a long time ago. He said, on the side of God's throne, the chair there, there's going to be a table with a VCR on it. Some of the kids don't even remember what VCR is, right? And then he's going he's gonna, to, when you get up there, he's going to have a VHS tape with your name on it and your sins. He's going to put that tape in and push play. And all your sins are going to be on the screen. And everybody's going to see it. Your grandmother, your mother, all your friends. I thought, oh, my gosh, I do not want to go before the judgment of God. And it just scared me, y'all. It did. But, but here's the miracle of reconciliation through Christ, God working through Christ, that Christ would take our sins and he would broker this reconciliation with God. We would get his righteousness that, that our sins are not counted against us. So that preacher was totally wrong. If you're in Christ, your sins are not going to be counted against you. And we praise God for that. We worship this Jesus who died on the cross because of that. And listen, that's a message that we have been entrusted to share. As a pastor, I talk to people that are, that are struggling with their sin and stuff they've done in their past, and they just feel condemned about it. And, and the best thing I can tell them, not that sin doesn't have consequences, we know all that, but the best thing I can tell them is, guess what? On the cross, Jesus took care of that. And on the cross, Jesus has forgiven all of your sins, and your trespasses will not count against you. Worship the Lamb of God. Share that message with somebody this week. There are people. Sometimes I'll share the gospel just running into someone at a convenience store or, or I'm in the mall or just somewhere downtown Raleigh, and I just run into someone and, and share the gospel. And there are people in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhood, on our cul-de-sacs, where we work out at, the schools we go to, that, that have this weight of guilt and shame because of what they're doing, the way they're living, and they need to know this God who can reconcile them and forgive them all of their sins. That's the message Paul says he has committed to us. He's given us this message. We are stewards. Here's our final point. We are ambassadors for Christ. Notice what Paul says here. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. And the, and, the, and the verse here says, we, we are not only ambassadors, but we are ambassadors as God is making his appeal through us. God is speaking through us. And so he sends us to, to, to represent him as his ambassadors, that he would make his appeal through us. 
And then right after that verse says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we we are telling people uh, uh, as God through us appeals to them to be reconciled to him through Christ. And God is sending us to do that as ambassadors. An ambassador is someone, as you know, who represents our country in a foreign land. He represents the president. He represents or she represents the president in our country in a foreign land, speaks on behalf of our country in that land. If you are a believer in Christ, this world is a foreign land. This world is not our home. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. But but while we're here, God is sending us to represent him, to be his mouthpiece. I would encourage you to be just that, that you represent Christ well in your life as well as in in what you say with your lips as you share this good news of the gospel. As we close today, I want you to consider just a few points of application. Worship, worship this God who has reconciled us to himself in Christ. It is a miracle. It is. And if you are in Christ today and you have been reconciled to God, there's no swagger on our parts, right? All this is from God. Worship this God. I pray a text like this will cause your affections to be greater for God and his son, Jesus Christ. Worship him. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you. If you're here and you've never been Uh, you've never become a follower of Christ. You've never responded to the gospel. You've never been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do two things. Uh, If if God is working in your heart, you feel the spirit of God uh, tugging on your heart, I'd encourage you, first of all, to repent from sin. This is how we respond to the gospel. We, We repent, and that means to turn, to change directions, to change your mind. And then you believe. You turn and you trust. You repent and you believe. And you put all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And if you will do that, God through Christ will reconcile you to himself and make you his child. I would encourage you to do that. And there are pastors here. Uh, Pastor G.J. will come up in just a second, I think, uh, to close us out in a minute. He may give you uh, uh, some more instructions on that. But I would encourage you to respond by faith and repentance from sin. I would encourage you also this week, if you have been reconciled to God through Christ and you are his child, pray about sharing the gospel with someone this week. I know many of you do this already, but pray and then look for opportunities this week to share the gospel right where you are. We live in a cul-de-sac, my wife and I, and I'm convinced God hasn't just called us there to live, but he's called us there also and maybe most importantly, to share the gospel. And I don't know if, if any of my neighbors in, in our cul-de-sac are believers in Jesus Christ. And we are his ambassadors. We are stewards of this gospel right there in the cul-de-sac. It could be your community. It could be where you work. It could be the school you go to. It could be, again, where you work out. Pray about sharing this good gospel with someone. Ask God to give you opportunities. He's sending us to do it. Ask him to give you opportunities and then be faithful. Be faithful. God is is making his appeal through you to share this good news with someone. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for the miracle of reconciliation. It truly is a miracle. Thank you for the means. All this is from you. 
we can't take any credit for it. Paul would say in Ephesians 2 that it's, by, it's been by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works so that no one can swagger. No one can boast. All this is from you, God, and we are grateful. Father, would you help the one that may be here that has never, ever trusted you as their Savior? I pray that you would work in their hearts this morning. Bring them, God, to faith in your Son and repentance from sin. Make them new creations. Reconcile them to yourself. Would you give them the grace to talk to someone today before they leave? And then, Father, would you help us? Pastor Scott has already laid the foundation last week that you're sending us out. You're sending us out. And, Father, would you send us this week as we pray about who you might be sending us to? Would you prepare hearts? Would you prepare our hearts? Would you give us the words to say? Would you open up opportunities for us to share this good gospel and that you would make your appeal through us and that we might encourage others to be reconciled to God. Thank you for Jesus. We love you, God, only because you loved us first in Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.